welcome you to Doxodeo Hatfield, a multi-ethnic family on mission, passionate about Jesus, passionate about community, and passionate about serving the city of Chwaneka. Great. So Dr. Hatfield, let's open up a Bible together to the book of Psalm for the last time in the series before we get back into the book of John, Psalm 34. So over these four weeks in our series that we're calling in this holiday time, Real Talk, we've been preaching through the Psalms as we come back to them. We did this a year and a half ago. But from this angle, we're saying that the Psalms are powerful because we can bring ourselves in our failings and struggles and wrestlings, instead of ignoring those things, instead of sugarcoating those things and pretending that they're not there, we can come into the presence of God and pray through, wrestle through the Psalms because they are willing to be more honest than you and I are willing to be. And they give wording to our struggles, our wrestlings, our doubts in a way that brings us in the presence of God to a place of healing and restoration, but how do we pray the Psalms? Because let's be honest, most of us, if we think about the Psalms, we've got a, a couple of cherry-picked beautiful things that you can post on Instagram, the Lord and my shepherd and streams of water, and it sounds so beautiful, and then we just ignore basically all those harsh-sounding elements of the Psalms, of, you know, kick my enemies in the teeth, Lord, and where are you? I don't think you're there, Lord. You're asleep at the wheel, and all of this, we just ignore that. So how do we deal with it? And we've been saying from the beginning, the way to, one way at least, it's so crucial for us in the new covenant is we need to read the Psalms and realize that we need to ask firstly the question, what would this have meant to those in the old covenant, in their original context, their struggles, their wrestlings, their doubts, but now on the other side of the cross, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, what does it mean for us now in the context of the new covenant? And what does that look like? So how does that work? The Psalms, I want to say from the beginning, this is so important. If you take one thing away from this quick four-week series of ours, it's this. Yes, the Psalms help you in prayer. I want to make it as simple as that. We often say it's the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God. Those are the foundations of our discipleship. But that Spirit of God element, so much of it is just prayer. Just learning to speak to God. And often I think the bulk of our prayer is speaking to God about our circumstances, about our emotions, about our needs. And that's good because he's a father, he's a good father. But the Psalms challenge us to say, not just to speak to God about our circumstances, but to start speaking to our circumstances and our emotions about God. To say, God, what does it look like to bring this thing that I'm facing, this doubt, this wrestling, to bring you into that picture versus the other way around? And the language of the Psalms helps us with that. And today, I want to say, I know that first week um, it was jokey and light, uh, today's not going to be that way. And that's all right. Church is meant to take us through all the emotions of life. And so if today feels a bit more serious, that's all right. It's intentional. And the reason is we've been looking, and someone said beforehand as we were praying that the series has been really in your face so far. It's good. Um, and all the situations we've been looking at in these first three weeks have been issues on the outside. What happens when things outside me fail, when people fail me, they frustrate me, they disappoint me? 
What happens when the things that I trust in, the country or politics or my household or my marriage or my business, when that fails? And I want to say those things. When something happens outside of you, it's very difficult as a Christian. If you're you're not a Christian here this morning, I want to invite you to discover what that looks like. But as a Christian, to wrestle through that, it's difficult. But today I want to say, for me personally, is much more difficult because it's not today what happens on the outside when things fail, but what happens when I fail? What happens when I am the, the reason for failing? And there's no way to hide. I can say those things outside there, they frustrate me. They cause me, you know, to doubt. They, they cause me anger. They cause me to lash out. But what if that thing is you? and your decisions, and your frustrations. What happens when I fail? Now, just to help you, I will share some of my own story with you. So this is about to get real, so buckle your your seats for a moment. But it's allowing you, as I often do, just to realize that God has some of that for you as well. And I was just thinking of some of the roles. I'm not going to go through all of them, but some of the roles that I have as a person and realizing that, man, as a Christian, Knowing who Jesus is, I've had seasons of immense failing. On a weekly basis, in the small and the big, I fail. And what do I do with that? So I have felt, maybe not you, because I know you guys are just stunning and perfect. And, but I have felt the intense sting of failure, maybe firstly as a Jesus follower. One of many, just after I'd become a Christian at the end of my high school career, just after that, we went on December holidays, a bunch of guys, and I was at that point still part of almost like an old circle of friends, rediscovering what it means to have people around me that really shape me. And I realized my identity was still so weak. My, my desire to fit in was still so strong that I was more drawn to how I can fit in with this group and how I can impress them and be with them than discovering this new identity in Jesus and what the Father says over my life. So we go on holiday And as a Christian, for the first time now, I'd failed many times as a non-Christian, but for the first time I go on holiday and I'm lying through my teeth to my parents as to what I'm doing in the evenings and where I'm going. I am trying and doing things that I'd never done before because I'm trying to fit in with a group of friends and a group of people that would show me that I've also got worth. I'm also one of the guys. I'm messing around sexually with girls that that I've made for all of five minutes. And suddenly I feel the sting of saying, this is not who God has created me to be, and yet this is where I am. I felt this thing often of failing as a husband. You know, I've told this story very often, but as a young person, I had a massive struggle with pornography. And this was something that so ruled over my heart and my life. It was incredibly difficult for me, shameful thing for me. And unfortunately, like many young men and women, I believe that if you go into marriage, that'll solve the issue. Can I tell you this morning, it won't. You bring your brokenness into your marriage, into your relationships. If I don't allow God to come and clear these things out, to uproot the brokenness, I will just carry it into the next phase of my life, into the next city, into the next job, into the next church. And so I go into marriage And this thing is still my hidden secret. And to keep a long story short, unfortunately, it was only when my wife came upon evidence on one of my devices of this this absolute brokenness in my life that I came to the place of exposed sin. One of the most difficult, I think, evenings of my life. I have failed. I've committed to love this person and no one else with my body, soul, strength, and mind. 
and I fail. I've tasted this thing of failing as a father. A couple of years ago, we come back from a December holiday, and it's a long drive, like 12-hour drive, and not because of anything happening in our car. Our kids, we've got three kids, they're in the back seat, and they are just being kids. They're being silly. They're being fun. They are trying to make the time pass. But because of things in my heart that I'm not dealing with, I'm not in a good place emotionally, and I'm not taking responsibility for it as a man. Because of that, things just build up over this long drive and my kind of passive, aggressive, quiet, about an hour before Pretoria, I've had it. And I literally just pull over the car on the side of the road. I take off my safety belt and I turn around and I just lay into our kids. And their faces go from joy to absolute horror, like, like three sets of eyes, just like staring at their father. And I am just going and I'm saying things that as I'm saying it, I'm sorry. As I'm saying it, I'm ashamed. And I just speak all these things over them, and I'll never forget just the look of their faces when I'm done. I have now gotten all my emotions very immaturely out on them, and now we can go further, and it's dead quiet in our car from that point onwards. I'm meant to protect them, to make them feel safe, to speak life over them. I fail. Maybe one more, just because the atmosphere is so joyous already. Let me... I have felt this thing of failing as a pastor. People have left this church because of me. Many years ago, the very first uh, role that I took up in full-time ministry as a pastor was leading our teens youth ministry back in Doxa Bloom. In my early 20s, I'm so convicted about what God wants to do through us. And I basically inherit this incredible team of young leaders and this beautiful ministry. I have to now take it forward And in my arrogance of we are going to change the very way that youth ministry is done because everyone misunderstands, but we get it. We're going to do it better. And in that arrogance, I basically systematically just dismantle that team. I dismantle all these beautiful leaders. I drive that ministry straight into the ground. And my leader at that time, because he was a good leader, he saw what was happening and he very graciously eventually came and he released me from that place of leadership. I'd said, God, I would humbly serve you and your people, and I failed. Now, what do we do with these moments? Maybe this brings some memories of yours back. Where have you failed? As an employer, employee, brother, sister, Christian, mom, where have you failed in your life? And what's so beautiful, if you open up to Psalm 34, This is a psalm written by David, and after a series of failures in his life, he finds himself running away from Saul, and he's hiding amongst the Philistines, (laughs) uh, which is a whole bunch of ironic uh, failure in itself. But what I want us to see before we read it today is I think we can make it so complicated. You're saying, Joe, after everything you just said, after the stuff that's in my heart, there must be some very, very effective, complicated, highfalutin, you know, some kind of thing we can do. There's some kind of massive, you know, technique that I can apply in the Christian faith to rid me of all these failings. And I want to say it's much simpler than that. It's coming into the presence of God and praying the words of the psalm over your life. Because this psalm is written as a poem, in, as an acrostic. You know what an acrostic is? It's almost like you take the word love, and then your poem starts with L, next line with O, then with V, then with E. So this acrostic 
is actually the whole Hebrew alphabet. So every single line of this poem starts with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You're like, wow, that must have taken a lot of planning for this person to write this. And the reason for it is this. It's so that the young Jewish people reading this psalm would remember it, would embody it. And the seasons, not if, but when you fail as a Christian, you would not say, God, what is the technique? It's just you come back. Come back to me. Pray. You will fail. The question is, what will you do as a Christian when you fail? And this psalm is saying, don't make it complicated. It's literally ABC. (laughs) Read the words of God more honest than you are willing to be over your life. So let's read together. Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times, says David. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from my fears. And those who look to him are radiant with joy. Their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him from his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. You who are his holy ones, fear the Lord for those who fear him lack nothing. Even young lions, they lack food and they go hungry. But those who seek the Lord will not lack any good thing. Come children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Keep your tongue then from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to, the, to their cries for help. The face of the Lord is set against those who do what is evil to remove all memory of them from the earth. But the righteous, they cry out and the Lord hears and he rescues them from trouble. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. One who is righteous has many adversities, but the Lord rescues him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Evil brings death to the wicked and those who has the righteous will be punished. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. So just looking at the structure of the psalm for a second here, verses 1 to 7, it's almost like David comes to this realization, I have failed. It's been a series, a comedy of errors. We love to watch Fail Army with our kids on YouTube. <laughs> it's, uh, you know that German phrase, schadenfreude? It's when someone else fail and you laugh because of it. So that's the best kind of failing, when it's not your failing, <laughs> because then you can laugh at it. So our politics in South Africa, we can laugh at it often, isn't it? Not really. Okay, too soon. Um, But when the failing is yours, like David, his failings are here. He says, there's a discovery for me that it's in my failing, verses 1 to 7, that I have to praise God. I come to the realization that even in my failings, God remains faithful. It's easy to pray to and worship a faithful God when you are oh so faithful. But David says, 
when you fail, what is the picture of the God that you have then? And because of that, he goes through these motions of saying, what would the faithfulness of God speak to my faithlessness and my failings? And then he makes the invitation to all of us. Verse 11, underline this. He says, come children, listen to me. Friends, none of us are so high and mighty in our faith that we need to not become just children again and just listen. Are we so strong? We've served God for so many years that you can't be as honest as you are meant to be with this psalm today. David says, man, I have sought the Lord many years, but I'm just a child again today. He says, come, just listen. And what does he do? He makes these three invitations in the place of failing. He says, there are three invitations. And I just want to look at one of them today with the time we have left. He says this, verse one, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will praise him. It'll always be on my lips. And then he says this, verse two, I will boast in the Lord. I will boast in the Lord. That's not a word we use often, but it's a powerful word. Like the word awesome has lost all of its meaning. Like when you see something that's genuinely awesome, what do you say? <laughs> because we don't have the word, but boast is one of those words. We don't use it enough and therefore it's powerful. I will boast in the Lord. What does it mean to boast? It means that I am making something or someone in my life great. I boast in that thing. I boast in my strength. I boast in my money. I boast in my career, in my spouse, in my beauty. I boast in the neighborhood that I live in. I boast in the car that I drive. I boast in my accomplishments. I make that thing great in my heart, in my life. And listen to David. David says, I will boast in the Lord. I will make him great. I will magnify him in my heart, I will speak to my heart. I will speak to my emotions. I will speak to my circumstances. And I will boast in the Lord. What do we need to do to come back to this place of boasting in the Lord? What is he asking? What he's basically saying is boasting is, you can almost just say it's a synonym for what? For identity. What is the foundation of your identity, of your worth, of your purpose? Who are you? That's what David is saying. He says, when you strip away everything that I am, I can only boast in the Lord. My identity is not in the fact that I'm faithful. My identity is based on Him. My identity is based not on my faithfulness, but on His faithfulness. Not on my performance, but His performance. Not on my consistency, but His consistency. The greatest of us all will fail. And then David says, the question is, what? will your identity be? What do you boast in? And he says this in verse eight. This is his invitation. If I want to boast in God, how will that happen? He says, here's the, here's the difficult truth. It's when you fail that you have the opportunity to discover the faithfulness of God. We're all saying, God, it's when I win the lottery that I will boast in the Lord. It's too easy, friends. That kind of faith can survive nothing in the real world. Sunday morning faith is too easy, let's be honest, isn't it? We sit here and it's so easy to be a Christian. But tomorrow morning is when the real world starts. And he says, the kind of places in my life where I learn to boast in God is when I fail. That's tough. God, when my identity and my foundation is exposed, then you invite me to come and rediscover 
a stronger identity, a better foundation, a more solid thing to build my life on. And listen to the wording, verse 8. He says, how do I do that? Is it some mechanical thing up here? No, he says, verse 8, taste and see the goodness of God. That's visceral language. Us men think religion is this dry, boring thing. David says, you need to imagine yourself in the desert, dying, hurting. You are thirsty. You are hungry. Then in that low moment of your life, when you've shouted at your kids and you failed as a leader, and you failed as a parent or a friend, when you made promises and you didn't keep them, it's in that stinging moment that you have the invitation to not think about, but to taste the faithfulness of God, to see the consistency of God. It's in those moments you're going to look back and say, at my greatest moment of failing in my life, I tasted something of God I'd never tasted before. When I had it all together, one step further, everything fell apart. And then there was a moment when I saw, I tasted that God is ever faithful when I fail. That He is eternally consistent when I break my promises. That He never abandons me when I abandon even Him. He says, if you want to see this, you need to experience it in those low moments. He says, come and take refuge. In him. Think about that language, friends. When do you take refuge? Is it when you're walking around with a chest out? Look at my consistency and my faithfulness. What are you taking refuge in? In me. My foundation is my consistency. My foundation is my beauty or my body or my bank account. It is the bed that I jump into with this person to feel that I am worthy. It is the sense of acceptance that I have in my friends. I run to refuge of business and bottle and beauty. I run to the refuge of my parents. I run to the refuge of others' opinions. I run into the refuge of my consistency. But friends, here's what David is saying. If you build your life on that, the day that it fails, you fail. The day that it breaks, you break. The day that it disappoints you, you are eternally disappointed. So he says, not that those things are bad things. Man, I say it all the time. Sexuality and status and money and career and friends, these are great, beautiful things from God. Gifts from God. But they're not God things. They don't have the weight to carry you as an identity, as a foundation. So he's saying it's when your foundations that you thought were so solid, when they crumble, you can run into the refuge of God. That's the moment that I can discover. Taste and see. Run. Find your refuge in Him. Seek Him. He wants you to experience that God is good even when you fail miserably. He wants you to experience that God is faithful even when you are faithless. He wants you to experience the solid rock love of a God in Jesus for you even when you've fallen apart in your decisions and convictions. So what is he saying? He says, boasting means that I'm putting all my chips into this one thing. You know what the Bible calls that? It calls it worship. Like, John, now you've lost me completely. Like, we just sang just now. We had the worship happen just now. That's such a small part of what that is. The English word comes from the Latin worth chip, to put worth onto something. 
I remember a conversation in our community group. We spoke about money that week, finances, and someone just honestly voiced, they're like, how can I worship God with my money? <laughs> it makes no sense. How would you worship God with something like that? It's because we must understand this thing. I am already worshiping something with my money. I'm already putting all my worth into something. I'm worshiping, putting all my worth. I'm boasting already in my sexuality, in my money, in my, in my time, in my energy. I'm already giving myself to something. The question is just, what is that thing? How solid is that thing? When that thing fails, do you fail? Can you run for refuge into that thing, into that marriage, into that business? So what does he say in verse 3? He says, proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. His greatness. Man, your career is beautiful, but the Lord is great. Your spouse or future spouse is stunning, but the Lord is great. I'm saying, man, these things are good things. Let's, as Christians, let's regain our confidence in the beauty of the gifts that God has given us. We are not anti-sex, anti-money, anti-career, anti-any of these things. God is the most sex-positive being in the universe because he created it. But there's one thing that is great, and it's God. He's inviting you not to a lower place of living. He's inviting you to a higher place of living. Where you say, man, God, money is good, but you are great. Sex is good, but you are great. My career is good, but you are great, Lord. Worship to you. I want to worship God. I want a life where things are aligned around the greatest heavyweight planet in all of existence, and that's God. I want those things to revolve around you. It's almost like that illustration of the woman who takes jewelry that she's inherited from her great-grandmother. It's always been locked away in a box somewhere, and this one day she starts picking out some of these things in one item, and it just looks so different from everything else. And she's like, maybe I should have this just looked at. And she goes to the jeweler. And as he's sitting with it, you know, her posture toward this thing is like, you know, whatever. It's one of those things. Great grandma gave it to me. And this jeweler, he's basically the same. He's like, well, let's have a look. Very casual. And then he starts inspecting it. He starts looking. And he investigates. And suddenly, his heart starts beating really quickly. He's, he's breaking out in a bit of a sweat because this guy who knows what he's looking at suddenly realizes this. This is not just your great-grandma's little thing. <laughs> this is worth so much. And as she sees his posture changing, her posture changes. Oh, my word. What, what do I have here? And she walks out completely different from the way that she walked in. Why? Because the worth of that thing has suddenly been discovered. This is what David is he's calling us to. He's saying, in your moment of failing, don't run away from God. Inspect the goodness of God. Turn the diamond of the goodness of your God, the consistency of your God, the faithfulness of your God. You've never needed to lean on God. Let's be honest. Often life has just been something you can figure out. But in this moment of genuine failing, walk out with a God that is so worthy. It's not your performance. It's his. God is not inviting you to a Christianity based on your morals, based on your performance, based on your goodness. That is flat out religion and it will tire you to no end. Being here enough, giving enough, serving enough, praying enough, saving your sexuality enough that God, that he owes you, you are going to be so tired. 
He's saying, no, it's when you fail, it's an opportunity to discover the faithfulness, the worthship of our God. And you're saying, Joe, my issue is not worship. My issue is that I fail and the shame that comes with that. But friends, that's the point. What is it saying when my life falls apart, when my marriage falls apart? What is it saying of my identity when I'm broken? I, I, I disappear from fellowship in the church for months at a time. Why? Because my actual God has been shaken. I need to go and put myself back together again before I come and smile in front of the people again. What's happening? I already worship something. All of us, friends, if you're not a Christian here this morning, I hate to break it to you. You can be as irreligious as you want. You are worshiping something. You have put worship on something. So in the first Harry Potter novel, and it's a children's book, so they're pretty much on the nose here. But Harry and Ron come upon this mirror called the Mirror of Erised. And like I said, it's a children's book, so she's not hiding it very, <laughs> in a very difficult way. It's the word desire just spelled backwards. So what happens? He comes before this mirror, and instead of seeing his own reflection, what does he see? He sees his greatest desire. He sees himself together with his parents again that he lost. Ron sees himself as this champion, and he's the, you know, he's the, the whatever they call it, the, the head schoolboy of the magic world, whatever that is. What is he seeing? They're confused until one of the teachers explained to them, what you are seeing is your greatest desire. And they say, you know, you know why we've hidden this mirror? Because people waste their lives sitting in front of it. I desire this more than anything. And so I run the race of my life in pursuit of something that I'll never truly get. My worship, my identity is built on that. And so when I fail in that, I'm broken. God, I committed to being a good husband. I've failed. I committed to being strong in my morals and I won't, I won't make mistakes like other people around me. God, I committed to never go back on some of those promises. God, I committed to be strong in my faith and to believe and to, to be active. What are you saying? My greatest desire is found in my own performance. It's found in my own strength. And Christianity comes back all the time and says it back to back to back. Christianity is not about the strength of your faith. It's the strength of the object of your faith. Jesus says, I want to change what you see in that mirror. I love what the author Rebecca Pippet, she puts it like this in a book. She says, whatever controls us, it is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who lives for acceptance by other people is controlled by the person and the people that he or she seeks to please. One thing is certain, we do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. God, when I fail, I realize what the true Lord of my life is. But for the Christian, there's the invitation to say, hey, my child, children, come closer. You will fail. That's okay. Because our faith is not about your perfection. It's about the perfect sacrifice of a perfect God to perfect some very imperfect people. He says, if you're going to be controlled by these other things, there's a better option. Come and find your refuge, your strength, your identity 
in me. And here's the beautiful invitation. It's not if you don't fail, it's when you fail. There's the opportunity to take this psalm. It's when I'm so ashamed of my decision. That very evening, I take the psalm and I pray and I say, God, will you bring conviction and healing as to who I am in you? Because now I can go back with an identity based on God's faithfulness and consistency. And I can go to my kids and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I missed it. I said things I should not have said. I'm sorry. I ask for your forgiveness because my identity is not based on the acceptance of my kids. It's based on the acceptance of God over who I am. When I've gone back to God as my refuge, I can go to my wife and say, I am sorry that I failed you and not being faithful to you because I realize my worth to wrestle with issues like pornography or addiction or stress or anxiety or whatever it is that ails you, I cannot have that fixed in my wife. It must be fixed in an identity that is above, beyond, stronger than my spouse. But it's from that place that I can truly love her for who she is. When I know that God loves me in Jesus, now I can start loving my neighbor as myself. Friends, I want you to start seeing the moments of failure. Not something to seek out. I don't want a single failing for you in your life. I don't, I don't want it for you. I'm not praying it over you. That's not the point of today. We're not a bunch of martyrs just waiting to fail. We've got this failure mindset. And we're also not going to not shoot for the moon because then we'll fail. No, the point is just there will be moments of failure. And my invitation to you is to start seeing those moments as moments of invitation to a deeper and more profound relationship with God. God, expose these things and bring me to a place where you are worthy. I'm going to leave it there for today. And I want us to, like we've done in the series every week, Paul Tripp, he says the following. He says, no one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you more than you do. And we've been saying the script of your life is one that God wants to come and rewrite. You are speaking to yourself every day, every night, and especially, I'm not sure about you, because again, you guys are perfect and beautiful and amazing, but for me, my script is most toxic against me when I fail. And I believe God wants to come and rewrite those scripts of failure through his Holy Spirit today. Because David says, man, I, <laughs> I'm not going to bless my consistency. I'm going to bless the Lord. He says, I'm not going to praise the lips of my faithfulness. His praise will be on my lips. He says, I'm not going to boast in my performance. I'm going to boast in the perfect performance of a God on a cross for me. How can I fail when the worst failing has been absorbed by the Christ of the cross? If he has looked into the fullness of your life, he's looked into the depths of your soul, and he said, I take you just as you are. I'm not going to leave you as you are. I'm too good for that. I take you like that. That's the kind of God that I can trust in. I think he wants to come and rewrite our scripts today. So what we're going to do is I'm going to lead us just in a moment of just if I were you. I'm not you, but if I were you. Here's maybe a couple of ways I would use some of the phrases from this prayer. I would just come to God. Instead of running away from the church, away from the people of God, away from God, away from his presence, I'm going to say, God, I'm coming right to you in my most vulnerable moment. And I'm just going to pray some of these prayers. Then, like these other weeks, I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Maybe in twos and threes. I know today is like pretty, like, yo, it's out there. So maybe not the easiest one to share with some people. 
But just pray. Take, take a couple of these sentences, some of these verses, and just pray together. And then Mana and the team are going to lead us finally in just a moment where we just sing some of these words over us. But just where you are, just close your eyes. I'm going to lead us just in a moment of prayer. And as I do that, I'm just asking the Holy Spirit just to bring to mind some of your failings, that he would rewrite your script. Jesus, I am so humbled by your consistent love for me today. God, I want to live a life where I just bless you at all times. Especially, God, when I fail. When I fail, Lord, I want your praise to be on my lips. But I want to be quick to say I'm sorry, to forgive. God, I want a life where my foundation, my boasting is in you. God, I know that you have been humbled on the cross so that I would never have to be humbled like that. And therefore, I know, God, that I will hear you, that I will know you. God, thank you that you have proclaimed your greatness over my life on a cross. That I can exalt you because you have, God, gone to the depth of my sin and brokenness. And you've taken it upon yourself. So, God, today I seek you. God, I'm a poor man today in my failings who just cries out, God, show me who I am in you. Show me my sonship in you. Show me how proud you are of who I am and not what I can do for you. God, I want to taste and see your goodness when I'm at my lowest. God, I want to be a child who comes to listen to your truth, who accepts you as a good father. I pray this in Jesus' name.